0: Welcome to Our Journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union.
1: Welcome to A More Perfect Union. I'm Chris Wolfe, and joining me this week, our roundtable of radio regulars, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalia Linas, our station manager, Peter J.; my co-host, Nick Romesong, and apologies from uh, state rep, Jeff Roy, and higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, unavoidably absent today. And a special guest this week, the founder of A More Perfect Union, Frank Falvey, Franklin <laughs> Broadcasting Good Morning, legend. Frank.
2: Morning.
0: Yes, you are a Franklin broadcasting legend. How, going back how far, Frank? 1980 what? Oh,
2: 1984. 1984. Uh, and, and if people don't know, I owe a great deal of gratitude to Peter J. And if you go to franklin.tv and you go to What's On, he talks about frankness. And I am so appreciative of what you had to say. It brought tears to my eyes. And and I really, I really encourage people each week on Saturdays when they get up in the morning to go and see uh, what he is saying. He's a great, great writer, marvelous poet. and, And I appreciated that more than I could express.
0: Nothing leads like the truth, Frank. Well,
1: and especially... speaking of truth, but a boom, here's a segue. I... Today's topic immigration. Welcome to Martha's Vineyard. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is under investigation by police in Texas for his actions to send some 50 Venezuelan refugees to Martha's Vineyard last month. Brackets. I'm just saying last month because it'll be October by the time this goes out. The governor, a likely presidential contender, says he was drawing attention to the migrant crisis on the border. So it seemed like a good week to discuss immigration in all its forms here on A More Perfect Union. Uh, does immigration change the country? Uh, Frank, what are your thoughts?
2: My thought was that his move, right or wrong, or political or not political, was the cat's meow. I thought it was a perfect idea to send 50 people or about by airplane to Martha's Vineyard Here is an island with great resources. Here is a a people that uh, express concern about our society. Here is a a place that people need to be absorbed. In the wintertime, right, there's many, many houses vacant. They have have to have emergency facilities to feed people in case a hurricane like that's happening right now comes across the island. And it immediately, immediately brought up the discussion of immigration, which since 1960s, when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened and all the people started coming by boat from Cuba, has been a complete failure of every administration to, to try to handle this crisis. Um, I think Martha's Vineyard failed. They should have kept the people on the island. They should have absorbed them into the society. The Venezuelans, and apparently Venezuelans do not have a beachhead. Franklin, Mass, back in the turn of the century, was a beachhead for Italians. And people came because Italians were here. Same thing happened in Irish, in Boston, in Lawrence. Apparently, there's no beachhead for Venezuelans. There's no community. So we're better off trying to integrate. Integration, whether it's religious, uh, cultural, ethnic, to me, I learned in English high school, which is celebrating its 200th anniversary this year of being the oldest public high school in the United States of America. Every, there was no one population that was dominant. We now have Latino Americans as the second largest population. They beat out African-Americans. Do we hear anything about them on the radio, TV? Certainly, police have got to have shot some of them. The, the, some of them have, have got to risen to uh, business executives. But I don't know anything what's happening with them. We have a that, a culture that's the same, basically. A religion that basically is Roman Catholic. There are 2 million that came last year. And we are not bringing in Africans, Muslims, Buddhists, Asians. We are even limiting the number coming from Ukraine. We have a lot of issues around immigration that no one is seriously taking and talking about, publicizing, and even trying to find out what are the facts, what is going on.
3: Frank, can I jump in a little bit? I mean, you've brought up so many different issues and, you know, on on many of them we'll disagree. um, And then some possibly we will agree. But let me take us back to Martha Vineyard. And, you know, it was a stunt. And from the stunt perspective, maybe it was successful for bringing attention. But it, it, you know, it manipulated. There were people were misled, humiliated. Uh, It was cruel. It was a cruel stunt. Those 50 individuals didn't know where they were coming. If they were coming by choice, if they had known you will be going to this island. And, you know, I should say, I get I get your idea that Martha's Vineyard um, is known to be affluent, but it's not year round. The residents who live year round, uh, including, you know, it's, it's home to uh, a large uh, indigenous tribe that has been trying to reclaim a lot of their land. There is a lot of poverty. There isn't infrastructure in the sense that, you know, Boston has public transportation and services for people. Uh, food banks and and jobs. I don't think to assume that a small island can take on that. and you know let me let me sort of tell you where I'm coming from. I grew up in Greece, and Greece and the Greek islands are often host to massive refugee flows, you know, people are fleeing from the Middle East by boat and other countries. and you have these island communities, small islands that suddenly get inundated, you know, double the population. Um, and I do think that the bigger question here is where's is the responsibility? of the rest of the country. And I think that was the point that, was, you know, maybe Floridians feel like it has to be, you know, the migration or refugee flow distress people who are coming onto, you know, border communities, they need to be shared, um, you know, the responsibility need to be shared more evenly. And that's, you know, what Greeks have been calling on the European Union, just because the Greece is at the border doesn't mean that everybody has to stay there. There has to be a shared responsibility. So I'm with you on taking a holistic, systemic look at immigration. As well as, you know, at the FXB Center for Health and Human Rights, we talked about, we talk a lot about forced migration or forced displacement. Because at times we envision people, you know, from humanitarian crises, from war, getting the label refugee. But we don't realize that a lot of people have no choice. They're fleeing because they are living in such difficult situations because of, you know, gang violence or poverty or even climate change. That our world right now does need to come to terms with, you know, what is the system? Where are we going to allow people? How are we going to allow people to move and to live in dignity? So I think fundamentally, we probably agree on that piece that we need to talk about the systemic issues. But I personally saw this um, as a cruel stint, and I was proud that you know the communities in Martha Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard came together, provided shelter, but I didn't think that they had to stay there. I think there are more resources available um, in other parts um, to provide for those individuals.
2: not Leah, not Leah. I would contend that the people that were thrown of Martha's Vineyard got the best of everything as opposed to The people that were left in El Paso or as opposed to the people that are just told, go go to a relative or go somewhere else. You know, you're free to do whatever you want. I would contend that this, even though it was a political stunt, was a great political stunt that these people now are suing. To get money, they are now housed and fed at Otis Air Force Base. They they now will be absolutely taken better care of than the people that have never been flown or moved to another city. Uh, so, my, Frank,
4: Frank what, what I've got to ask this is Nick: uh, is does the end justify the means? I mean, these people were were humiliated; they were purposely taken from where they were, and a stunt is a stunt. It's it's a joke at someone else's expense.
2: No, it, w- it, it, it was to bring the immigration issue that no one was talking about to the forefront.
4: I, I think did, everyone I was mean, talking about it, Frank. I,
2: I, I don't want to make this comparison. It, mm-hmm. It's not quite a great comparison. But wasn't it great when the Freedom Riders took buses, OK, to integrate and to go down south in jail? In, in is this?
4: That was voluntary, this, Frank. That was voluntary. They they went there on their own. They felt the need to be there, and they, but, that's what they felt like doing. These people were coming to this country for to escape dire dire situations. But you're
2: changing you you're, poverty, ch- you're changing poverty. the subject from immigration problem to to this specific thing. Whether it was a stunt, what I'm saying is forget that. I, whether it was a, it, whether it was a stunt or not is absolutely kind of immaterial. The material important thing is to talk about the problems that we're having with immigration. And the Democratic people elected to Congress from Massachusetts and the media have completely changed what the purpose of them going to Martha Vivendi was.
4: Well, I believe the purpose was to draw attention to a potential presidential candidate who has no real regard for anyone who comes into his state. I mean, I think he's playing he's playing political games with these people and it's it's cruel and and it's, it's 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 unnecessary the the immigration problem in texas go to texas go down south they know what the problem is i mean if you follow the news you know that the problem down there is dire i mean it's it's overwhelming so taking 50 people and moving them across country and telling them one thing and then having them arrive to something completely different and having people at the other end being totally unprepared for this. I mean, the the plane shows up and what is this? What are we supposed to do? We have no preparation. We can certainly put something together, but it's not sustainable. And I think it was just at, at the base of it, it was just an attempt to draw attention to, as I say, a potential presidential candidate and to make him look like he's going to serve the purposes of whatever demographic he has chosen to stir up the man's a demagogue uh he's he's working on the fears and and he's working on the 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 you know the abject ignorance of a lot of people and i don't think this was a, anything other than that
1: so frank um if i may i'm just curious to bring it back to the issue the that has been highlighted by the movement of these people to martha's vineyard um what is your concern you said there's not enough africans or asians or muslims uh, admitted i don't have the data in front of me but i think the uh, legal immigration statistics are much more representative of people around the world but um, is it is your specific beef with uh, the amount of latino immigration
2: specifically yes i am concerned with the that growing ethnic population that for years we continue to Pass laws that make them U.S. citizens, and yet we the border crossings. I guess last year was two million from the Mm -hmm. southern border annually, two million. And I'm concerned with what African Americans are getting. All the news, all the publicity. We know everything that happens in the community. We know they're rising up in uh, economic terms and educational terms. We know nothing about what's happening to this now largest minority population in the United States. At least I don't. I don't know, uh, you know, are they apparently the the laws are such that they appear to have been absorbed into the workforce. But let me point out, too, that When an ethnic population comes to an area, and that is as large as the Latino population, you take Lawrence or the Irish, it takes about 20 to 30 years for them to be politically and culturally significant and and an influence in not only electing people to Congress, but to be a leader in the community. And usually the first five or 10 years, they're either lining their own pockets or they're simply crooks. So it takes a time for this population to come into its own. I don't think it's come into its own yet. And I I don't know if anyone is working on studies that are going to project how this population is going to take care of itself, what's happening now. I don't know if Frank, if the Frank, women are being mistreated.
3: Uh, Frank, I think, I think we're, going, we're going into these like hypotheses that are. I mean, it's sorry, and I'll take a step back. You know, I'm I'm Greek Greek American, and you know, I consider myself a first generation. I moved here, and you know, there was the big Greek migration and early, you know, a hundred years ago, probably similar times with the Irish. And I was reading some literature about how, you know, Greeks were forbidden from going into restaurants because they were, you know, it was like Greeks and dogs can't enter. I mean, this kind of like the, I think you use the word crooks, like this is complete nonsense. These are people, people are people. We're all, you know, people who are fleeing to make the values that drive people to come to the U.S. are that they are coming to a country because their home country. So the, the bigger question is, why is there so much inequality in the world? Why are why is there so much poverty? Why is there war? Why is there climate change? And actually, if we were to dissect that, maybe the, you know, US and our foreign policy and the way that we have, you know, grown in terms of our, uh, you know disregard for climate change, you know, we're one of the biggest polluters. Like we all have some responsibility um, to, you know, for for this crisis that is forcing people to move. Uh, and when they arrive in this country this country i i don't think there is such a thing as an american you know i don't think it's a threat i personally think it's it's a blessing you know this is what the us likes to talk about the the idea that it has people from all over the world and yes you you have something to be said about you know if it's mostly people coming by land should we also have a, a better policy around you know bringing in refugees and you know who who have to be flown in and brought in through other means like should there be more attention to the plight for people who can't cross a border by land or by sea because the us is so far away so that i'm happy to have a conversation with but i worry that some of the language that is being used here is is sort of accusatory these are people like everybody they have you know they don't treat their women worse or better just because i mean just you know gender-based violence happens in every community among wealthy people among poor people among you know, it's it's real and, you know, it's it's an issue, but it's not unique to one group. And so I think it's unfair of us to try and uh, create this narrative of like there might be something cultural or different when, in fact, we all have our own cultural backgrounds. And, and we should celebrate that and see how the system and how our immigration system supports or doesn't support uh, people being able to step up. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little troubled by this conversation
1: Right. And it's very well, this is Chris here, well documented and has been for at least 20 years. Um, study after study has shown that immigrants of all stripes, whether they're undocumented or documented, are responsible for less crime than native born American citizens. So it's frankly offensive to suggest that they're um, making a living the first few years here, they're here by simply being crooks. I, I think maybe you um, chose your language a little poorly there, sorry to say.
0: I think there's also a, I, an interesting filtering aspect. Anybody who manages over, and I was reading one story of one immigrant who happens to be currently uh, suing DeSantis with respect to the Martha's Vineyard uh, situation. He was one of the 50. And in a rather lengthy article, he describes that he left his home country, Guatemala, I think it was, or Ven- Anyway, he left in the middle of June on foot, leaving his wife and kids behind. And it took him basically pretty much to the end of August. To get to mexico where he was then issued a 20-day permit to exit mexico by way of the border of his choice and so he continued on now mexico as he points out is seven times larger than all the other little republics in central america that he traversed and so it was a long slog to get to the u.s border he crossed the river pulling some other people on an air mattress because they couldn't swim turned himself into u.s authorities immediately and went through the normal process. Uh, and while he was waiting, uh, a woman approached him about being offered work and uh, a, non- a number of other remedies uh, that would be uh, available to him in New York or Boston. And she gathered up the 50, hauled them off to the island where they were told, first of all, they got on off the airplanes and they were put into a bus. So you've got 50 people on a bus. They were ferried around the island for a a mile or so to a house. And they were told, simply go to the house, ring the doorbell. They will know what to do and they will take care of you. When the woman answered the door, she looked at 50 people standing in the yard and had no idea what was going on. And the bus was gone. Um, So. That's where their journey to the U.S. paused while the people in the vineyard figured it all out. And so basically this is at this juncture a lawsuit involving fraud, kidnapping, use of state funds to carry people across federal lines, uh, state lines, making it a federal crime. So I think the fallout on this is going to be not insubstantial, to, to say it mildly, and this is going to go on for a long time uh making it obviously a spectacular yet cruel hoax uh and fraud now what it did do is it put immigration on everybody's table with an election coming up the national implications are that by changing the discussion from say what the supreme court had you know with the abortion ruling recently and and that was dominating the news cycle now we have immigration dominating the news cycle and that is an opportunity to sway votes in a very generalized Republican direction. And it also, of course, with DeSantis leading that parade, it certainly sets him up for a 2024 run, which he's already in the middle of aggressively campaigning. So mm-hmm. I I think that the the other issue is timing. Look at the logistics. This happened at a time when tourism season is winding down in the vineyard. If this had happened in the spring, when Martha's Vineyard is desperate to find workers to handle the tourism trade. It would have been a far easier concept to say, hey, you're here. We need you anyway. Great. But with out-of-country workers from Jamaica and elsewhere already headed back to their home countries with the winding down of the tourism trade, the timing was elegant. First of all, And then there's the notion of, well, okay, let's talk about the the richest zip codes in America. Aspen, Colorado, Carmel, Martha's Vineyard, you name them. There are five of them. I don't remember all of them, but there were five of them once tied into a very private television network called Plum TV, catering to the ultra rich. And Martha's Vineyard was on that five zip code list. But what makes it unique is it's an island. So it further underscores the complexity of what to do once they arrive, and no one knew about it. Nobody on the island knew about it. Governor Abbott in Texas didn't even know about it. The idea was the element of surprise at the perfect time and the perfect place. What that means to me, DeSantis is cunning, extremely cunning. And that is the thing that makes me really, really nervous about his political plans.
4: I I agree with you, particularly on that last point, because... I think it shows that he's following a plan that uh, another front runner in the Republican presidential race potential 2024 is chaos and disarray. He's Trump 2.0. Let's call it what it is. All right. And as long as you can keep everyone unsettled, uneven, just on edge. Divided. Divided. That's a very big part of it. Divided. Carve out the, the group that you want. Agitate. And I'm not saying that these are ignorant people that, they're, that are being worked for this. They're trying to find someone who can answer their questions for them. And it's uh, it's tough times for a lot of groups in this country. Some of them create their own misery. A great mm-hmm. number of them create their own misery. But those who do not create their own misery are frustrated beyond belief. How do you get, how are a lot of people going to get through the winter? Energy companies have already announced Astronomical increases oh, yeah. in the cost of heating oil, the cost of electric, electricity for the winter coming up, and with what's going on in the climate, it's likely to be devastating in this part of the country, the Plain States. I mean, everyone thinks of New England as the coldest. No, you go to North Dakota. There is there's nothing colder than the North Sea in February that's colder than North Dakota in the winter. Mm -hmm. If you can use these fears, these worries, these, these concerns to your own end, and in order to do so, you, you abuse and you agitate and you excite the more base behavior of a a group or a lot of people. Exactly. So that's, that's what I'm, most concerned about
0: i i want to also just harken back to, to sort of where i started and want to respond to frank's uh, thought with respect to call it hispanic influence in the country their position and so on uh, given the difficulty of the journey that they went through the sacrifices that they had to make to get to the u.s border i think the mindset of the typical central american mexican immigrant is such that they are Incredibly grateful to have made the journey, incredibly grateful to be here. And the very last thing, the very last thing that they want to do is create problems because they want to stay. And they know that if they get in trouble with the law, that isn't going to help their cause. So each individual who makes it to our border is somewhat committed, oddly, to make America great again. Wow. (laughs) I saw Nick's eyes get big. (laughs) what I'm saying is that they want to contribute to society. We think of them, you know, we think of them as consumers of our resources, but they're also producers. And I think that when, when you take a look at the, where they are in the media, there are two Hispanic national television networks in the United States. Do we watch them? Well, I'm not Hispanic. I wouldn't know what I'm looking at. There are not in Massachusetts so much, but if you go to LA, you go to Texas and you go to places where there are strong Hispanic populations, there are likewise many Hispanic radio stations and television outlets at the local level that serve that community. When a culture becomes large enough to support media, media responds. In Lowell, there is a Vietnamese television channel. So
1: and and none of this is new. I mean, for most no, of, the none 1800s, of There were more German newspapers in Pennsylvania than uh, English. So it's, exactly, um, it's it's just the typical immigration experience uh, encountered by the uh, the Irish, the Italians, the uh, everyone exactly else, the Greeks. Natalia was saying it's um, and yes, people cluster in groups where they uh, can be understood. And uh, for example, South Side of Framingham pretty much 90% uh what i've learned uh, of the brazilian population in framingham is from one town in yes. brazil because people it's just just the mechanics of migration people know go where they can find people can help them find work and start make a make a fresh start in life now, i happen
0: to live in framingham and i can relate a story here that's interesting in framingham in the public access channels there is one person who agitates against the brazilian community and quite strongly, he's exercising and pushing the limits of his free speech rights, producing his television program, which is run with the appropriate disclaimers, of course, in what we call safe harbor hours. In other words, that program goes on sometime after 10 p.m. at night, which the Peg facility uh, is, by legislation, enabled uh, to do. Um, and it is it is a horror show the way he rails at them. I remember him pointing out once that there were all these people hanging out uh, in front of what was the Salvation Army. And he was trying to equate that as a problem for the town. And I said, do you see any Brazilians there? And there weren't any. So what it indicates is that people who come to this country tend to be prepared to do whatever it takes to contribute, to engage, to get involved, to assimilate, and to find a way to raise up their kids in the next generation, to be totally franchised in the United, in in the US dream. And so I think the larger issue is we are facing this horrible Hobson's choice at the legislative level. And I refer to it as a Hobson's choice because the easier we make it for people to come to this country illegally by enticements guarantees of safety, uh, asylum, call it what you will, the more will come illegally. Conversely, if we engage in horrific acts like separating children and parents, destroying families at the border, sure, it cuts down on the migration, but it's just unconscionable. And so Congress is left scratching its head trying to figure out what kind of immigration laws can actually work. This is an Occam's razor level of complexity you can't parse this problem easily at all uh, so that's something that i understand and i wish i had an answer people far above my pay grade <laughs> don't have an answer
1: i also want to take issue with this this very notion that latinos are some kind of homogenous blob of uh, people right they're going to work in cahoots to for their own political uh, ends or, or perhaps economic ends or, or whatever, um, you know. just get out there and talk to Latinos. A lot of them don't like each other. I mean, it's not like they're um, all working together. Dominicans are, are, uh, have a rivalry with Puerto Ricans. Brazilians obviously speak a different language. Many other people from Central America don't speak Spanish. Uh, a huge number are Protestant uh, con- converts. The last 50 years, Latin America has been transformed uh, with uh, Protestant evangelicalism. And uh, all these people are coming into the country looking for work, but they're bringing in a host and a variety of conflicting attitudes. Some are very Republican and conservative in nature. Others are. are very uh, Democratic or progressive. There's racism uh, between, and, and there's classism. And so there's all these rivalries that to see it as like this overwhelming tide of uh yeah, just one homogeneous to, mass, which it right. is. it's it's just as false as it was for the Irish or the Italians mm-hmm. or the Germans um, uh, in the past. And um, I just just find it. I mean, full disclosure. Well, I'm a immigrant myself, obviously. So it's, let's start with that. Uh, my second wife um, was. Her family uh, is of Hispanic heritage. She, uh, her mother, was born in Puerto Rico. She was the first uh, woman from Puerto Rico to uh, go to Ratcliffe now Harvard University in the 50 years ago, 60 years ago, my <laughs> current wife, her grandmother came from Mexico with nothing and set up a successful business in Queens and has made a life and none of her grandchildren or great grandchildren can speak any Spanish. Again, the typical immigrant experience is that they don't speak uh, their home language at home to force people to learn English to accelerate the assimilation process. So just like every other immigrant group has done before. So it's just... Um,
3: and Chris, I, I think you confuse things now by saying that Puerto Rico Puerto Rico is a US Well, I said she's story. of Hispanic
1: heritage, but I think there's yeah, this, not this lumping right? in Anglo-American view of anyone with Latino heritage as as in some people's language, part of the problem. And obviously it's that's not the case, as you so rightly point out. So many Latinos, I think there are a current estimate of people who are living in the United States uh, undocumented is about 10 million as it has been for about the last 30 or 40 years. Um, and obviously a lot of people leave, people die, people move back home and their children are American citizens and they are American as in most cases, apple pie. There's a few communities where it's so dense that the assimilation is delayed to some extent a generation, but the in the most part, um, I mean, look and look at the people leading um, Congress and the Republican Party, uh, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, they're Hispanics. I mean, where where is this idea that there's this awful tide of um, homogenous uh, people coming in to to take over? It's it's just it's palpably false.
4: I think a lot of it, I mean, stems <clears throat> of late stems from a, another stunt that came from the other side when. Uh... Fidel sent out the Marielitos. He emptied the prisons and said, go. You know, I mean, who could handle that? Boatload after boatload of supposed criminals. Criminals in Cuba are not criminals in this country, necessarily. Uh, They were being uh, jailed for homosexuality. They were being jailed for being political distance. There There were people of a nefarious nature who came over. They got all the news. And that was a stunt also. That was to say, you want them, take them. We're going to give you the worst.
3: I just want to go back to sort of some of the language, too, of assimilation versus integration. And I think over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years in the United States, there's been a shift. For example, you know, when my parents were here as international students, we were born here, which is... Um, You know, there was this pediatricians would say, oh, don't speak to your kids in Greek, they'll get confused. And then a lot of immigrant families were also told my husband is um, Arab American, and you know, his parents had moved from Lebanon and, and Jordan and you know, they didn't speak to him in Arabic because it was this idea that in order to assimilate um, and to, you know, integrate, to be, you, you had to take on the new language, new cultural practices, you know, what you sent the kids to school with so they wouldn't be made fun of. And I think there's been a shift there. And now, you know, pediatricians are very welcoming. They say, you know, you can raise children bilingual, trilingual, the more the better, you know, don't. And there's this pride, you know, sending your child. To school in the clothing that you know you find most appropriate the food you know they won't be made fun of for not bringing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich And i mean peanut butter is out of the question these days uh because of allergies but i think that's a positive thing that 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 richness and so you know what are we striving for you know i think we are striving for people to be able to get jobs so learning a basic level of english is probably important for the workforce Similarly, English speaking, American kids should probably be learning a second language and Spanish is a useful one and there might be other ones. So, I mean, I think those questions and then how how do we ensure that people, the systems work for this shift in our perception is really important. So I think, Frank, on that piece, you're absolutely right. Like what, what systemically do we need to change to, you know, and and whether it is um, lessening the b- burden for communities in Texas or Florida that are the receiving communities, you know, for states like Massachusetts, like there is a responsibility. Like those are systemic changes. I think we just need to be very careful in our language to not assume that people just have to become American in this like notion of a homogeneous America, as as Chris you highlighted. There's nothing homogeneous, and actually that's what makes it a wonderful place to to raise a family and to have. Um, you know, that diversity in language and culture and religion that I think, Frank, you were highlighting, that we want to celebrate that diversity.
2: Let me point out that here in Franklin, Mass., there is a a, a small group teaching Spanish to children. Uh, these children uh, may be of grade school age, but they're young, and they're obviously uh, uh, English-speaking children. And yet we have in Franklin, Mass., the ability to send your child to learn Spanish at a very young age. I worked for about eight years in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which is called the Immigrant City. Mainly, it's Puerto Rican and Dominican. And yes, there is some rivalry there. But in June, the third week of June, there is Hispanic Week, where there's a Peruvian, and I have my Peruvian sweater on, that Lenore Sanchez, who is a leader in that community, uh, brought up from Peru and sells Peruvian items. There is a, a Ecuador night, and you want to see the best dances in the area, go to an Ecuadorian uh, event. So culturally, you you are right. Culturally, in many senses, particularly in a community like Lawrence, there is an interchange of culture, and that interchange. We need to keep the culture um, alive of different groups because certainly the Irish, okay, no longer really do uh, set dances. Uh, No longer is Florian Hall really a center for the Irish. So the Irish and the Italian, the Italian American club in, in Franklin is not as large as it was at one time. So the older inhabitants... Uh, that immigrated to this country are now losing much of their cultural heritage, and maybe because it's time. I believe in cultural diversity, and what I'm trying to point out to a large degree is we're on a track not to have a real cultural diversity. We're on a track simply to have a population grow to the point that it will be the number one population in the United States. Do we want that? How how do we want to manage immigration? And how do we want to manage what has traditionally been a very diverse America? Traditionally, it's been very diverse. And now that diversity compared to 10 or 20 years ago has got to be significantly smaller. Native Americans only represent now two percent of the population of America. Um, there is a, I think there is an immigration policy that it's not working. Uh, not you know every twenty years or thirty years we pass a law and say that all the people that can prove they've been here for ten years can become United States citizens, kind of automatically. But we never in that law say that from the future on, when you go to apply for a job, you have to present a social security card or a passport that proves you're an American citizen. We should not, we should have employment laws that discourage if you're here illegally from obtaining a job. And in my opinion, you know, right now we have a voters' A driver's license law uh, that if you get a, a driver's license and you are you are a citizen, you can register to vote automatically. You so can I've,
1: go, Frank. There are very good employment laws. I've been hiring a lot of people this year uh, in my other business, and everyone has to complete an I-9, and I have to sign and testify that they have uh, proof of uh, citizenship, either a birth no. certificate or a passport. So,
2: no, that that's you. That's you. You don't have to forward that to the Bureau of, of Immigration. You I mean, don't yes,
1: have to. you could, but you could get an audit do of trouble, but you don't have if to. you don't comply. Uh no, no, you don't the but I mean the you said there were no laws in that place for that? Well there there that there, there are.
2: There are not laws that that are significant in discouraging that. The laws are meant for businesses to get around hiring illegal aliens and they favor They favor businesses to employ these individuals. When in the law, you could put requirements that would have to go to a central immigration bureau that would check, like apparently must be happening with driver's license to vote. If you check and you say you want to vote, right, you got to provide the social security number. And apparently, somewhere the state must have some data bureau or some way of checking whether that social security number is legal or illegal. And so based on that, okay, you're going to be able to vote or not vote. And one of the things you need to fill out in an application to vote is you need to check that you are a US citizen. And if you're not, they say you're subject to perjury. Well, no one is ever gonna prosecute anyone for perjury if they check that box.
3: So I'm of the view, Frank, that if people are on U.S. territory in the country, have fled, that they should be able to work. I mean, fundamentally... I'm not. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I'm bringing it up. Because fundamentally, what does that mean? If you don't have the right to work and you're in this country, like, then, then you are, then the country has to provide for you, right? Or are you saying these people should like not have food. Like, what is the alternative? So I'm I'm taking a step back and saying- The alternative is to
2: send them back to the country they came from.
3: But once, I mean, I, I think that's cruel. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot that foreign policy can be doing so that people are not leaving. And again, going back to my earlier remarks, that we as a country, the United States, is responsible for a lot of the poverty, the inequality, the climate impacts that is causing people to flee. So we have a responsibility. And I don't think- you know, sort of just shipping people back. Obviously, many people who have fled, uh, you know, Venezuela, we're not shipping them back because we don't recognize the government there. And, you know, in other places, war is at fault. And, you know, these are people who have every claim to asylum and were uh, party to those conventions. I actually think, you know, to your point about more cultural diversity, the U.S., you know, President Trump had Capped the annual refugee admissions to fifteen thousand. President Biden increased it, but you know we should be more welcoming of people who, you know, refugees. For example, we could be inviting many, many hundreds uh, of thousands of people, not just you know tens of thousands of people, and that would allow us to ensure that there is more um, diversity because you know obviously people who are coming by land have a different route, and similarly in Greece you know, people are coming by boats and they, they come from one part, you know, it's not, but to the point of like, you know, work and not work, once people are in this country, preventing people to work is just causing more poverty, more strife, more challenges. I don't think that's the solution. Um, And I don't think, you know, flying people back after they've spent years trying to get here is, is either the solution, but you're right. We do need a solution. Um, I just think fundamentally uh, we disagree on some of the, the, how do we allow people to live in dignity? How do we allow people to, and this country is big. There's so much land, there's so much, you know, work, there's so much uh, opportunity. It's not a tiny, we're not a tiny, you know, country. So I don't know, I think there is another option that maybe um, we need to find.
2: Now, have you heard the discussion that you and I just had ever on a national, local, or, or state basis is the discussion that we are, are kind of having. I I think it's, it's not receiving the importance that it needs to receive and that people need to engage in.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what media and, and you know, I have a very skewed view because I do run a center that has a huge migration program and we work with you know, community groups. We have a summer school in Greece on, on forced displacement. So I'm probably the wrong person because in my small network and on social media, there is a lot of conversation happening, a lot of conversation by, you know, community groups that are pushing for us to, you know, talk talk about people in dignity, the dignity that people bring, the, the benefits, the wealth, you know, and change the narrative. Um, so I'm part of some of those conversations. But Pete might be better placed uh, to say, like, you know, what are the, what is the media sort of? I think that it's an issue that different media stations cover very differently, and so we have different narratives, uh, and there isn't one narrative. I don't know, Pete, what do you think?
0: Well, clearly, there's the, you know, the, you know, people at Fox would claim there's the leftist bias across the general media, and of course, the general media takes a look at, you know, Fox News, um, and within that, within those tools of publicity. This is where DeSantis is playing his game, returning back to that. There was nothing altruistic about what he did, sending people to Martha's Vineyard, not in the least. And he was also not even trying to offer a solution. And he has said quite boldly, I don't have a solution, uh, at, and in his comments afterwards. All it was was about inciting passion, generating chaos, which could be converted into polarized votes that's that's where we're going we we are simply looking to uh, engage people in a way that's beneficial to us uh, from a political standpoint that's what he's thinking if people are indifferent they don't move passion is far easier to guide and manage than indifference and that's the thing he knows so let's foment the kind of passion
1: that serves our ends well, what um, has always disturbed me about that um that political model of um, sowing division to try and cement your base uh uh, if especially if it's among an ethnic or linguistic lines is that all all the countries i've studied and reported on uh in my international broadcasting career uh is is where that leads is inevitably uh to violence and bloodshed and and injustice and um the the kind of horrors that are unleashed under the cover of that kind of division are uh, just unspeakable. Um, and I just can't fathom how any reasonable, decent human being would want to throw f- gasoline on the fire uh, of, of I guess you'd call it nativism or, or prejudice, just to try and provoke anger to win political support. Uh, just baffling and horrifying at the same time to me.
0: Baffling, horrifying, and unfortunately, effective highly
4: effective has been over the centuries over the millennia
1: exactly and uh, and uh, we've seen it um the experience of um a country that's very much in the news recently Ukraine uh, about 20 years ago a politician was elected with the um under the invites incidentally of um Paul Manafort who later gained fame um elsewhere in other countries and here for his uh, political strategy he was pushing that and which was to stoke divisions between ethnic Russians and ethnic Ukrainians to try and solidify his base. And, you know, we can see that that he was being played in a larger game in that region. Um, But obviously the bloodshed and the horror and the crimes that have been unleashed in the last 15 years is a is a very good example of what can go wrong. Frank, any final thoughts?
2: The comment I would have is a is around our emphasis that we've talked about, about Uh, the stunt that uh, DeSantis uh, played. And yeah, that was wrong. There's much criticism that can be made. But I think the act of doing that, I mean, you, you could find 50 people easily to tell them they're going to Mount Pelia, Vermont, have them clearly have them talked in English. And clearly they would sign up to go to Mount Pelia, Vermont. I think we're missing the conversation when we're, when it's all about uh, the fact that we do political stunts in this country, and that was probably one of the worst ones that maybe there's going to be a legal Im- implication for him. But we need to focus on the immigration effect and issues of so many people crossing the border. And once he, we get here, as Natalia said, there's some of us that have a disagreement. How do we resolve that disagreement, whether they should work or not work? What what mechanisms should we put, put in place? What should we be doing about education uh, in making uh, scholarships available? Or should we for people that are here illegally?
1: Thanks, Frank. Uh, another more perfect hour has flown by and we have to say goodbye until next week. If you'd like to weigh in on our discussions, we'd love to hear from you. I'm sure this is an issue that's going to get a lot of attention. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. If you enjoyed our discussion, please let us know. If you disagree, all the more reason to let us know. You can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online. Just visit our website, wfpr.fm. For Dr. Natalia Linos, Peter Jay, my co-host Nick Remesong, and our special guest, Franklin broadcasting legend Frank Falvey, I'm Chris Wolfe. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.